Let us pray together. Dear God, this morning we thank you for the amazing gift of music and of song. Give us this morning, we pray, a deeper appreciation for your precious gift to us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, equip us to use this gift more fully for the purposes that you intend. And we pray all this through Jesus, who sang your song like never before. Amen. I invite us this morning for just a moment to imagine our world without music. Sorry, Jonathan. It's hard to do, isn't it? Imagine our world without music. Or imagine our worship here at East Chestnut without singing. And only with words and words and preaching. Pretty horrifying, isn't it? (laughs) This morning, across North America, we're joining Mennonite congregations in giving special thanks to God for this amazing gift of music and song. What an amazing gift it is. And we are also, with our brothers and sisters, beginning to anticipate the coming of our new Mennonite hymnal in the year 2020, which, by the way, is 38 years already since our blue Mennonite hymnal worship book first came out, 38 years ago in 2020. In my email to you this morning, I invited all of us to spend a little time remembering those moments in our lives where we were touched in an especially profound way by the singing of hymns. Maybe in a worship service, or a funeral, or a wedding, or a family reunion. When our lives were touched, when our faith was kindled or maybe rekindled in some especially profound way. Back in the early 90s, I remember Danette and my first experiences of singing hymns again after a long absence from the church. These hymns, in a very succinct and distilled way, reintroduced me to Jesus and re-wooed me with His amazing grace. You know, after we would sing together in community, I'd go home with Danette and I'd say, you know, I'm experiencing this really strange thing. This lightness and joy in my chest. What is it? I've never felt this before. You ever felt that? Of course. We've been made for worship. 
Singing, you see, was my gateway into prayer, my gateway into worship, my gateway into encountering God again. Maybe this is why Marlene Krupp and Ken Nafsager say that singing is our Mennonite sacrament. Singing is our Mennonite sacrament. Later in China, I visited rural churches deep in the countryside where the singing of a beloved Chinese hymn, Ye He Hua Shi Muja, was especially moving and memorable. This hymn, it's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And it was set to this amazingly haunting and beautiful Chinese traditional melody. For these folks, these brothers and sisters in China, it was clearly one of their beloved heart songs. Heart songs. And they sang it with such deep soulfulness, many from completely from memory, and some with their eyes closed. Or I remember in 2003, in southern China, on our very first night with our daughter Jasmine, all of nine months old. It was her tuck-in time. And I was rocking her to sleep for the very, very first time. And I was also discovering that there's nothing that smells more beautiful than the top of a child's head. Amen? That night, after so many years of waiting, I suddenly felt this deep gratitude welling up in my soul to God for this precious new member of our family. Great is thy faithfulness, I began singing to God. Great is thy faithfulness. All I, all we have needed, thy hand hath provided. And three weeks, excuse me, three years ago this week, I remember gathering around Marcus Smooker's bed at Lancaster General Hospital during his final hours of life. You know, there were prayers spoken and scriptures read. I don't remember any of them. What I do remember and what was most unforgettable was 25 of his family members, and I checked with Dottie, 25 of his family members all crowded around his bed singing to him and sending him off into eternity with God. Some of you were here, were there. What a gift God has given us. God has created us in such a way that especially singing helps us to express the inexpressible. 
especially at our times of deepest joy and sadness. When we sing, especially when we sing together, our words seem to be given wings. They begin to catch flight. If you were to name some of your own heart songs here this morning, which ones would be at the top of your list? You know, in the Bible, we often overlook the central role of music and singing in the worship life of God's people. Because of the Ten Commandments, which forbid the creation of idols and graven images, the Jewish people do not develop a strong tradition of visual art like their Gentile neighbors. Isn't that interesting? Because of that one commandment, they steer clear of visual art. But, they instead pour their energy and their creativity into music and singing instead. Especially in their worship of God. Let me just do a brief survey of Scripture where we see this happening. For example, after God liberates the Israelites from their cruel house of slavery in Egypt, what do Moses and Miriam do but break out into exuberant songs of praise to God like they're in some Broadway musical? And in our our, our first reading today from 2 Samuel we join King David and his throng of many thousands, 30,000 people, as they carry the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments, into the city of Jerusalem. And, And friends, notice their ecstatic and full-bodied worship. Did you notice verse 5? David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might. With songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. <laughs> In fact, if, if you know this story, and many of you do, you know that David's worship that day is so rapturous and so joyful that it is completely scandalizing to his wife, Michal. And it creates a rupture in their relationship. But the point here is just to to see how song and music are, are central to their worship. After Jerusalem is conquered, and many are hauled away into exile far away in Babylon, the refusal now to sing becomes the most poignant way that God's people express their devastation and their resistance to the Babylonian Empire. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, 
How could we sing the Lord's song in that strange land? And then later on when they go back and they rebuild the temple and they rebuild the walls of the city, all of this is accompanied by music and singing. And then in the New Testament, singing remains a key part of worship, but increasingly it's a sign of radical allegiance to God and resistance to the powers of evil. Even on the night that Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, what do we find Jesus doing but singing hymns with his disciples? As we read in Matthew 26, it is after they have sung a hymn that they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And then later in Philippi, I love this story, when Paul and Silas are thrown into one of the prisons of the empire, beaten savagely with rods and flogged. What does the whole jail hear them doing that night? Singing praises to God. Radical resistance. Radical allegiance to God. And then, nine times in both Testaments, nine times, as we hear today in Psalm 98, we hear this call to sing to the Lord a new song. Why a new song? It's because it's since God is always doing a new thing in our lives, dear friends, in me and in you, those who are noticing, are you noticing? Always have a new song to sing. Those who are noticing always have a new song to sing. And then our Bible closes with the book of Revelation where we catch a glimpse of all the tribes, all the nations, all the languages of people eternally singing and praising God. Five different times we hear God's people breaking out into exuberant song. It's a Sweet foretaste of eternity, our eternity with God. Now, what about our third reading from Matthew 22, which doesn't seem to have anything to do with our theme today of music and song? But might that maybe change if we think about Jesus as not only God's Word made flesh, but also as God's song made flesh?
What crucial reframing happens in our brains when we think of the Christian life as being about our lives and our bodies and our spirits being filled with God's beautiful song. You know, for centuries, the Hebrew prophets before Jesus have been trying to teach their people how to sing God's four-part harmony of salvation, reconciling love, justice for the poor, and holy living. But sadly, the people's singing keeps on falling off key and turning discordant. And so when the time, when the kairos is right, God draws near to our world in a special way. In Jesus, God's song becomes flesh. And slowly, it takes a while, it takes a while with us too, folks begin to realize that Jesus with His perfect pitch is restoring and re-clarifying the central melody of God's song that runs through all the law and the prophets. Are you with me? Jesus restores and re-clarifies the central melody. Amidst all the 613 commandments in the Hebrew Bible, what is the central melody? Love (laughs) the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might and your being. And love (laughs) your neighbor as yourself. Love, dear friends, it's the central harmony melody of God's song. And Jesus now forms a new choir of fisher folk, rebels, outcasts, and sinners to sing it together like it's never been sung before. In the end, it's a song that's so incredibly threatening to the political powers, to the religious powers of the day, that it costs Jesus his life for singing it. But when God raises the singer three days later, God shows us that nothing, nothing can ever keep this song from being sung. Since love is Lord, since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can we keep from singing? And this morning as we anticipate together and with sisters and brothers across North America the coming of our new hymnal in 2020, let us also celebrate 
what our singing God's song together continues to teach us. God's song is so exquisitely beautiful. Amen? It is so exquisitely beautiful that I can't sing it alone. Nor can you. Every, every voice is needed. Only a whole congregation singing together. Only a global church, including our brothers and sisters in China. Only the whole cosmos singing this story, this song together, can ever begin to produce the full harmonic splendor of God's eternal song. And sister, you might be singing about salvation, and I might be singing about God's reconciling love. Brother, you might be singing about justice for the poor, and I might be singing about holy living. But the crucial question is not, why are you singing a different part than me? Bad question. The crucial questions are, are we all in tune with Jesus the singer? And is love our central melody? Because, dear friends, listen up. You can go to 1 Corinthians 13 for this. Nothing we ever say or do in our homes, our workplaces, in our church or our nation, no matter how right or how true, will ever be received unless it is sung with great love. You can be so right and so true, but unless you deliver your message with love, it will never be received. So dear friends, God has given each of us a unique part. We heard that in Ava's dedication. Ava has been given a unique part of God's song to sing. So have you. Every voice is needed. Friends, are you singing your part of the song with all your might? Have you found your part yet? Because since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can we keep from singing? Amen.